His name is Austin Carty, and he is a pastor himself, and he's joining us this morning. Hey, Austin, how you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you all doing this Good. morning? Good. We're doing Good. great. Thanks for I'm fascinated for by this idea. I know. This is this is a wonderful idea. All I right, think so. I lived that idea. So <laughs> fill me we, in. <laughs> we love to read. We love, 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 love to read. And, you know, how much of this do we really retain? Now, before we begin this conversation, a bit of a disclaimer. The Word of God is in a class all its own. Mm. And scripture memorization and studying the Bible and all of that is in a class all its own. We know that's true. What we're talking about here are some other books. But you might even uh, say, well, you know, it's also remembering what you read in the Bible as well. But anyway, I just want to make sure we have that disclaimer. So we spend all this time reading those who are really avid readers. And yet science tells us that we don't retain very much, even if we're taking notes and highlighting our books, what's really going on here? Well, I'm, I'm so glad you started with that disclaimer and foregrounded that, because that's vital to me, too, for the argument that I'm making here for us as Christians. We never intend for the rest of our reading to supplant the primacy of Scripture. Uh, scripture is prim- primary, mm-hmm. no doubt. The rest of our reading supplements that. But my book, and what I'm ultimately trying to advocate as a Christian for a wide diet of general reading, is the understanding that reading beyond the Bible enriches our understanding of what it means to be people of faith and what it means uh, to be practicing Christians. And to the question that you just asked, which is a really important one, because I think it's something that many folks, when they think of reading, either consciously or unconsciously wrestle with, which is that it's a very time-consuming endeavor. And when we read, we're all aware that we spend several hours reading a book, and then two weeks later we think, now, what was it that I read? You know, I remember a few pieces of this. but And if we think that reading is purely about retaining information, if we think that the human brain is essentially a computer and that when we're reading, what we're doing is we're trying to upload information that's then stored that we can uh, disseminate whenever called upon, then we're really looking at reading in a reduced light. Because science tells us, scholarship shows us, that other than the handful of genetic lottery winners who have photographic memory, which I certainly do not have, Mm -hmm. the rest of us retain about 10% of what we read. So that means that 90% of that reading, 90% of that time, is not available to us by instant recall. But the thing that I have found about reading over years of doing this myself and being so interested in it that I actually studied this uh, for my doctoral dissertation, there are now empirical studies that show that when we read, even the stuff that we're not reading is still getting inside of us. It's doing what the late great preacher Fred Crotick called filling the reservoir. So it's getting in there, and a metaphor that I like to use to explain it is it's like having numerous filters through which we're seeing things. It's overlaying the lens that we're looking at the world through. So just like when we have an iPhone, the original iPhone, if you think back, there were a couple of different filters that you could use. And at that time, we were dazzled by it. You know, suddenly we were able to take these pictures with these things in our pockets, and then we can use these three or four filters to change slightly the, the image we've taken, and we were all dazzled by that. But now, 
with an iPhone, there are just countless filters. It's still the same image, but each one that you put the image through gives you a slightly different take on that same image. Our reading does that. So the things that we don't retain, they're still in there. They have overlaid the lens. And when we're looking at anything that we're trying to interpret in the world, all of that reading, even the reading that we don't remember, particularly the reading we don't remember, is part of the lens through which we're interpreting. Man, this is so interesting. So it's shaping us, isn't it? It's shaping us, and moreover, it's forming us as people. Uh, Again, empirical studies now show that which we always just kind of uh, uh, intuited about reading, which is that we now know because they can actually connect the human brain to monitors and, and monitor these things as someone is reading, particularly a work of fiction that when you're reading something that calls upon um, uh, empathy uh, or compassion um, or, or openness and embrace, these nerve centers that have been located uh, in the human brain tend to light up in greater measure when someone who's reading is reading passages such as this. So it's in a very real way helping us go through encounters that cause us to be more loving people, that calls us to be more understanding and compassionate people. Um, and all of these things are, of course, to the good as people of faith. Something I, I wanted to ask you, could you give us some examples out of your own life of how books, certain books, have, have shaped you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I begin my book by recounting a story of how the novel Gilead, which is by the novelist Marilyn Robinson, which won the Pulitzer Prize, and I believe it was 2005. I began my book by recounting the story of how unknowingly that book set me on the trajectory of uh, not just ministry in general, but the kind of minister that uh, I have become, which is to say um, a a much quieter, small-town, small local uh, church minister as opposed to um, the the vision of ministry that I might have had when I was in my early 20s, which would have been something much bigger, maybe much more celebrated, much more under the spotlight, certainly um, much more um, pomp and circumstance. And I did not know how this book did this for me while I was reading it. And that's the reason I start my book um, with this particular story, because to harken back to what we were just talking about before the break, the key point that I want to get across to folks about reading is that it is far more formational than it is informational. And just like all of the best formation that happens to us as people, we don't really see how it's happening in the moment. It's all incremental, but it builds at compound interest. And so I read this book, Gilead, which is about uh, a small-town Iowa minister, uh, and ultimately about him and his relationship with his father and grandfather, both of whom before him were ministers. And it is not a book with a rip-roaring plot, but it is this deep character study, and it's this profound meditation on just a life of commitment to Christ in the church. And that book got inside of me, and it began to change my vision and conception of what it might mean to be a person of faith in general. And then as I received a call to ministry, um, a minister in particular. So that's a book that has had a profound impact on me. But there's so many others. Um, and I could, I could cite lots of classic novels, something like uh, The Brothers Karamazov. 
by um, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Uh, I could cite more contemporary novels, things like uh, All of Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout, um, The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, these books stand out to me because, and it's always autobiographical and personal for each each individual, um, but these books helped me have a deeper and better appreciation um, for the simplicity of things, uh, the beauty and the wonder and the marvel that's in the mundane. Um, and these things, as people of faith, are important because they help us to attend to uh, the glory of creation. Uh, as Gerard Manley Hopkins famously says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. Um, I remember Sire used that quote to begin his famous uh, The Universe Next Door. Um, and fiction, particularly fiction like the books I just named, really help us have a better capacity to behold that grandeur. Mm. Even those of us who are the most avid readers only have a certain amount of time where we can be reading. And so as followers of Jesus, um, how do we balance this out to the point, well, first of all, again, just to reiterate, the Word of God is primary. We need to be in the Word of God every day. That always gets priority for us. But we're talking about supplemental reading. And again, uh, you know, it's a lot of times uh, we're quite busy, but, you know, we always have time for the things we most want to do. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But as we do that, we're thinking, okay, well, I need something that is going to help me uh, in, in my walk with Jesus. And so reading uh, books that are not, quote, unquote, Christian, um, for some believers, they might be thinking, well, what benefit can I really get out of that? And I think what you're saying is, it's healthy to vary our reading, to read widely, maybe some authors we don't agree with so that we can see things from a different perspective. Uh, would you agree with that? I would agree with it wholeheartedly, and I make that case in the book. And I think one of the most um, important disciplines we can have is something you just touched on, which is try to, in our reading diet, read from some folks whom we know from start we're going to disagree with some of their opinions. And what's vital when it comes to that kind of reading uh, specifically, but all reading in general, is that as Christians, for for this kind of formation to be um, beneficial and, and um, life-giving, as, as I'm claiming it to be, it's vital that we read with a charitable spirit with a spirit of generosity, which is to say that we don't come into it uh, looking for how um, we can we can angrily disagree with whatever it is that we're reading, that we're going to be open to what it is that the person's trying to get across, while at the same time understanding the convictions that we bring to the reading. And all reading can be done to the glory of God. Um, like you said, let us never forget that Scripture is primary. The other reading, then, it's important to try to fold into our day a reading diet. And that can start with as little, as few as 30 minutes a day. But the key to beginning to start this as a spiritual discipline, and I like to use that rather than habit. I like to think of this as a spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. Uh, Richard Foster and Dallas Willard are both really good at talking about this, and both also uh, see general reading as uh, a spiritual discipline. 
What the way did... to do that, I think, um, let me just get this in real fast because sure. I think it's important, is sure. um, carve out that time and put it in the calendar. Eugene Peterson, the great pastor, famously said that the one thing in modern culture that is still sacrosanct in the eyes of all is the calendar. You know, if you say it's in the calendar, then, oh, well, you know, it's in their calendar. Uh, so if we can put 30 minutes, carve it out for that time, uh, that can begin to build that muscle. And the reading muscle, just like uh, of a muscle in the body, is something that, um, can, that, that, that grows and strengthens as we attend to it. I think that's great that you wow. mentioned that because there yeah. are folks who struggle with reading. You know, I'm just not a reader, and it's everything I can do just to have my devotional time and reading God's Word. And so it's uh, taking baby steps, right? That's exactly right. And I think that's why beginning to reconceive of reading as formational, as opposed to either informational or as entertainment or escapism, is so important. Because I just cited Fyodor Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov. One doesn't have to be reading Fyodor Dostoevsky for these things to apply. Right. <laughs> one one yeah. can be yes. reading right. whatever it is that they are drawn to and interested in reading for this kind of formative work to begin. It's not exclusive to uh, these kind of highbrow books or these things that we were told we had to read in high school or college. Don't hear me dismissing those. I I love all of those, and I think that part of, uh, to to pick back up that that muscle and weight training uh, metaphor again, I think that the more that we begin to read just the things we naturally are drawn to and love and that we find just entertaining, they lead us on towards some of that other stuff that just isn't fun and doesn't feel good if we're just reading it from jump. And I know that from my own experience. Yes, mm, absolutely. Yeah. What does science say about our ability to read in a, in a soundbite, you know, short video, social media world? You know, can we think deeply uh, these days? I think that's a valid question to ask. It, it is such a great question for you to ask because there is a, a growing and now large body of science that's showing just what our new way of taking in information and media is doing to the human brain. And I mean this quite literally, that when we were taking in as human beings our information uh, principally through long-form reading, and what I mean by that is articles or essays or books or things that actually were making a sustained argument, even if it was only 1,200 words, but it actually required you to stay with it from start to finish, Uh, that literally wired the human brain in one way, because our brains, we've now found, have neuroplasticity, um, which means that it's not like when you buy a car and the the things in the car are what you have, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Uh, Brain is not like that. Um, The brain is constantly being formed and reformed. And so now, as we are collectively moving farther and farther away from that old linear way of taking in information, and now we're doing it in these sound bites and in these fragmented ways where we click on hyperlinks or where something's given to us in bullet points and we kind of scan really quickly with our eyes and then click away, uh, science is showing us that what we're doing now is not reading in the same way that it used to be, and it's not having the same kind of effects on us. It's taking away our capacity to be able uh, to stay with conversation or an Mm -hmm. argument for a long time. It's making us look for more simplistic 
answers to things that can't be reduced to something that simplistic. Uh, it makes us more anxious. It makes us more suspicious. It makes us, uh, it, it tends to make us angrier. Um, and these are not just claims that, uh, that, that, that folks are throwing out frivolously and without backup. There's, there's now ample evidence to show these things. Okay, before we let you go, we want you to weigh in on this. Physical books or digital <laughs> books? <laughs> this, this is a controversial question you're asking. It is. Of course it is. The hard one for last. For, for bookies, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, so I will always be a traditionalist. I, I love the comfort of uh, the book in front of me. I love to have a pencil beside me to mark. Um, but that said, I also see great benefit in digital uh, studies show that there's not uh, really anything lost from the transition of one to the other. Um, a lot of folks that are, are dear friends of mine that are avid readers have moved to the digital reading. Um, and uh, and everything that I've studied and seen and observed shows that um, all of what I said is equally applicable to whether one's using the actual physical copy or um, is, is reading digitally. Oh, wow. We're physical books people mm-hmm. around yes. here, man. That's why I Need set you up them. big time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is great. I'll, I will always be. I will always be. There's something very comforting to me about Yes, I know. Agree. And by the way, books don't have personality when you read them on an e-reader or something. Whereas, you know, you have the physical copy. You can look on the shelf. There are my friends. Yes, you know Each book is. has yeah. a, a cover, yeah. mm-hmm. and you look at it, and it's very, uh, you know, tactile and all of this. And you're it. like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's books lose their personality when they become digital. That's just me. I'll get off my soapbox now. Listen, I'm right there with you, and they, they become part of your life, and they're autobiographical, and you, you chance upon the spine of a book that you read however long ago, and suddenly you're whisked right back to that magical yes. experience. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would say, just to, to add a little bit of um, uh, of, of scaffolding onto what you just said, Kurt, which is that particularly for folks that uh, have children like I do. I have four children from 9 to 20 months old, so pray for me. It's a circus at my house at all times. <laughs> yeah. But, but one, of, one of the riches of, of growing up in a household where there um, uh, was books and there were newspapers, and as, as, a, as a person in that environment, you don't realize you're taking in so much of what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, because the person reading those things doesn't think that he or she is sharing them with everyone, but they're there in the background and they are, they're cueing what is, what is significant and things that ought to be valued where and this to me is one of the, the detractions from, uh, the digital reading on something like a Kindle as convenient as it is, the books are no longer all around. And, uh, this is something we've lost, I think with so few people still taking a, a print copy of the newspaper. Uh, children don't see their parents reading that at the breakfast table or see it sitting around. They don't, so true. they don't glance at headlines. They don't see the spines of books everywhere to mm. begin to take in the, the ideas that their parents are, are interested in. Uh, they're taking it in unconsciously, but no less importantly. So that, to me, I think is an important argument for uh, having some physical copies around. I think that's great. The we only, agree. The, uh, we totally agree, 100%. The only challenge is when I have to move, and I have to move all my yes. books. Now, that's <laughs> yeah. a problem. I, I can't help you get around that when yeah. I've run into that. That's when a Kindle looks good. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's hey, right. Austin, thanks so much for being with us. What a great conversation this morning. Many blessings to you, my friend. 
What a joy. Many blessings to you all as well. Have a wonderful day.